Hey everybody, welcome back to the How to Adventure podcast. This is Ari in the Air. There was this time I was in Morocco. I was flying my paraglider. I really was in the middle of kind of nowhere, the foothills of the Atlas Mountain Range. And I really fucked it up. I got a little greedy. I got a little cocky. And the air almost took me down. I learned some lessons from that. And today, I'm going to read you an article out of XC Mag, the international free-flying magazine that I wrote about that experience. And then we're going to talk about risk. We're going to talk about experience. And we're going to talk about trying to not die. But before we get there, you knew this was coming. We're going to dance. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Here we go. so hard <laughs> okay so we've got cross country it is the international free flying magazine the june 2017 issue i've got an article titled child's play on page 96 it is a five page article beautiful photos by my friend chris hoyt that i've talked a lot about on this podcast And I'm going to read it to you. Ready? Okay. Child's play. Ari Delashma gets a lesson in humility on a flying trip to Morocco. Here's a little subtitle. My best friend Chris Hoyt and I were on an impromptu flying trip through Morocco. Chris is an amazing photographer, an experienced traveler, and a conservative pilot. I'm an action sports athlete fairly new to flying, but not to risk. This is an account of a learning experience that I was lucky to get away with. After a beautiful five days of relaxing coastal soaring in the south of the country, we traveled an entire day in car towards the Atlas mountain range. It was a few fast hours on the freeway before winding through the rural back roads, avoiding the big city and watching the mountains grow closer by the mile. The last hour was on a road so bleak and barren, I was convinced we were lost. My hopes of getting an evening flight at our destination were gone, so when the road was covered with a herd of sheep, I patiently used the rental car to help the shepherd herd his flock across the road. We drove slow and observed. There were a few camels and a lot of school children. The kids walk home from the bus an old dump truck, by themselves, from the time they're about five years old. Often, you'll see a six- or seven-year-old guiding a few five-year-old kids home. 
They're responsible here in Morocco. Something us American kids learn later in life. Something I will learn very viscerally. Something I will learn very viscerally tomorrow. The next day, we made our way up to Lange, a beautiful mountaintop littered with wild flowers and grazing sheep. The cutest little windswept girls, maybe six years old, live there and ask us for money. We give them hugs and smiles with a few dirham. That's the money there. They have very little, but they are very content with their lives on the ground. A contentment that I should have learned from, seeing where this story nearly ends later the same day. Sometimes lessons are hard to see unless they slap you in the face. On launch, there are a dozen pilots from Germany, Switzerland, and France. They all suck at ground handling. One is being dragged across the ground with his instructor in tow. Another is trying to perform a forward launch in huge midday cycles, leaving him tangled in his glider 15 feet from where he started. But one by one, after countless failed launches, most of them are flying. Chris and I launched into a good strong cycle and got 30 meters over launch immediately. We made our way to the end of the ridge where a steep rocky face was providing nice thermal soaring for all the seemingly rookie pilots. We joined the gaggle cautiously. After half an hour, I wanted more, so I pushed out from the ridge in search of stronger thermals. My timing was poor and I lost a bit of altitude. I found no lift, only air that was plummeting to the ground. I was bombing out like a rock and I was not happy about it. I searched frantically for lift, but only encountered turbulence and wind. I landed, bummed. I looked back up at the ridge, all the pilots still making mellow figure eights. I wanted to have a big flight, and I was on the ground. Damn. We decided not to head straight back to launch, which in hindsight may have been a better idea. Instead, we had a great lunch and a beer at the Riyadh, relaxed and used the Wi-Fi to get in touch with home. I was kicking myself for my mistake that led to the end of my flight, but we would fly again this evening. I was building up, I was building it up in my head already. By the time three o'clock rolled around, we were stir crazy and the wind was whipping. We packed up and headed to launch. The cycles of wind were very strong when we arrived. I recognized and accepted it as dangerous, but I wanted to go way up, so I had so I had already justified the risk to myself. We were alone on launch, and the sky was empty. I laid out my glider and took off into the sky, hopeful and anxious. I made my way back to the end of the ridge, but the lift was light. I was cruising around, staying close to the hill in hopes of surviving until the next good cycle arrived to take me skyward. Then it came. A big gust of wind rolled up the hill, and I soared up a few hundred feet above the ridge. I moved over a rocky point and found a nice vertical thermal. In two turns, I had gone up another 150 meters, so I kept working it. By the time the lift slowed and I relaxed, I was way up. The view literally took my breath away. Looking north, I could see the entire Atlas Range. Tall, black, snow-capped peaks with thin veins of couloirs streaking down their faces. Vivid, multicolored fields of wild... Wildflowers adorned the foothills. 
I could see for miles. The reservoir that I knew was there, but never could see. The city of Marrakesh in the distance. The vast mountains. It was like I finally arrived and realized where I was. The air was quiet, and I was peacefully descending, appreciating the view. Then I remembered, I don't want to go down. I was determined to stay in this place I had just found. The remnants of my long travel, my failed flight, and the impending end to the trip flooded my mind. I told myself I would scratch as hard as I could to find another ride back up to my throne in the sky. I knew that the thermals this time of day could be violent and unpredictable, but I was willing to face those odds, or so I thought. I should have pushed out and gone to land safely, content like the little girls, responsible like the school children. But I didn't. I was about thirty meter over I was about thirty meters over the top of the ridge when an angry thermal came spinning up the hill like a dust devil. It grabbed my glider and threw it hard to my left while simultaneously trying to collapse and spin the left side. I leaned hard to my right and used huge brake inputs to try to regain control of the glider, at least keep it on heading away from the cliff. I thought quickly about throwing my reserve parachute, but dismissed it as an option because of my low altitude. The glider was still being thrashed to the left and I continued to force it to the right. Once it was over my head, it wasn't flying. My massive brake inputs had stopped its forward progress and we were now falling vertically. I stabilized the parachutal effect and let off the brakes, making the glider quickly fly again, fly again, causing a lightning fast surge, the glider shooting way out in front of me. I was glad it was finally flying, regardless of how powerful and dynamic the surge. I braked the glider, and as I swung under it into familiar flight, my feet nearly touched the, wide fl the wildflowers that were perched on the edge of a series of rocky cliffs. The shepherds below had witnessed the cascading event and were screaming at me. I yelled back, trying to convince myself that I didn't almost die. I had come within feet of the dark side of our sport, and I had accepted those odds since breakfast. In hindsight, I never accepted the level of risk I was actually taking. I accepted a level that I thought I was taking, a huge difference that nearly cost me. Wide-eyed and white-knuckled, I flew straight out. I tried to pretend I was fine circling in a broad thermal over a hot field near the LZ. Reality was gnawing at me and my body wanted to be on the ground. I locked into a steep spiral and went to land. Chris had seen the second half of the event. His camera had caught the onset. He followed me out and landed right behind me. He dropped his glider where it landed and came and gave me a big hug. I was still silent. He was glad I was alive, as was I. In the hours after my near miss, I tried to understand the incident. What exactly happened? Did I over-control the glider? Should I have deployed my reserve? I couldn't know for certain. And the uncertainty led me to question why I paraglide and if it was worth all the risk. I decided that I can't live without flying, but I realized that the way I was flying 
might keep me from living. I suddenly saw my own expectations as the monsters that they are, trolls trying to pluck me from the bridge. I could clearly see my mindset and decisions that led me to where I had been, the desire to fly overwhelming my ability to make sound and safe decisions. The lesson had slapped me in the face. I needed it, and I was lucky to get it for free. I rubbed my face, grateful that it was still there to take slaps. That night at dinner, a French pilot told me, You must have had a great flight today. I saw you very high over the mountain. On the surface, I smiled and nodded, but in my mind, I was thinking of the content little girls, happy with nothing, and the small school children, more responsible than I had ever been. I promised myself I'd be more childish in the future, however big, at whatever age. So... kind of a crazy thing to read and it's kind of a crazy thing to think about for me recalling times that you blew it to the point that it almost killed you is kind of a uh, how do I say that's um it's personal and it's also powerful I'm still here. Okay, so let's talk about that. Let's just talk about that event for a second. We had been in Morocco at that point for 12 days. We had spent almost a week flying in the coastal wind, like the article states. And when we got to this flying site, which is a really good one, I guess what I'm trying to say is the beautiful thing about paragliding and especially traveling the world with a paraglider is that you mill around on the ground. You use cars and buses and trains to get around. And then if you're lucky, sorry, if you're lucky enough, you use this glider and it takes you into the sky. From there, your perspective on everything changes because now you have a different understanding of where you actually are. Milling around on the ground only teaches you so much about the place. But once you get a couple thousand feet over the top of the mountain, then you look down with the bird's eye view that the locals have never even had. When that happened for the first time, it blew my mind. It was so beautiful. And it was that beauty that made me want to scratch and claw and fly really low, even though I knew that was dangerous. That almost got me. So, it kind of made me realize 
and I've said this a million times since, is that at any given point in these sports, you have to be extremely weary of whether your level of experience is helping you or hurting you. When you're a beginner paraglide pilot, you have this sense of self-preservation that you don't really know what's going on, so you're really weary to like get out there, or you should have it. But then once you get pretty good at flying this thing, and you've flown it in some different places, and now you're in another country, you're like, you have this, this confidence. And we kind of talk about it as intermediate syndrome, where you're good enough to get out there and not good enough to fully understand all the implications and conditions. And I think that even intermediate syndrome never really ends because even once you become a really experienced expert, you would accept a level of risk that could lead to your death based on any number of factors. Which kind of, it's a weird thing to talk about risk that could lead to your death after vividly recalling an event where your experience nearly led to your death. But these are the harsh realities that you gotta face to be in this kind of game. It's in the cards. That kind of shit is out there. That kind of air is out there. And as my friend Jeff Shapiro told me, there are still wind effects and things in the air that no one has ever experienced. There are still reasons that paragliders can die that no one has died from yet. It's a big deck of cards. But the random factor is in there. So, when taking risks, when you let your feet off the ground, the hardest part is keeping it all in perspective. Because for me, paragliding is the most fun thing maybe that I've ever done. It's super surreal, and it is so much fun. And sometimes, a person like myself can get carried away with the fun and lose the perspective that I need to be an aviator, and I need to almost eliminate some of the fun, and I need to focus on the safety and the protocol and that side of things. And I think that's true with a lot of different sports and activities that we engage in, right? Which is hard to do. It's hard when you're having a lot of fun to say, hey, hey, that's enough fun. Now let's put her on the ground and go drink a beer. That's not really in my nature. That's not something that I would do naturally. 
So I have to do it proactively. I have to do it intellectually. And I have to left brain, right brain, my intellect and my conscious cognitive side has to put the the fun-seeking adventure guy inside my mind in a headlock, tie him up and throw him in the trunk and say, no, we're driving to the ground. We're going to the ground. You've had enough, dude. It's my turn. I'm taking over. In paragliding, if you fuck it up and you don't die, it's a lesson that you got for free. And the most important thing with free lessons is that you take them. The biggest mistake in life is ignoring the lessons that you get. To do a sport like this, you have to accept the consequences of your own actions, good and bad. You have to actively accept them. You have to actively seek the lessons because sometimes it'll just feel you know it's not so life-threatening and you can easily ignore it sometimes it is life-threatening and people still do a good job of making excuses and talking their way out of the lessons that they very much need to take I like to say that I'm, I haven't had that problem in paragliding, but I'm not infallible to that in life in general. But yay, paragliding! Yay, traveling the world with your paraglider! Don't die! <laughs> okay. Um... One of my friends the other day, he said, I'm not trying to die. I said, that's not enough. Trying not to die is different than not trying to die. I'm not trying to die. Well, you should actively try not to die. (laughs) So, (laughs) sorry for the Debbie Downer podcast today. Hopefully the dubstep was a little <laughs> was a little pick me up at the beginning there, but um, fucking a man, jeez Louise, you guys have a good day. See you on the next one. Thanks for listening. Peace.